Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, you may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Earlier in the week when I started my sermon prep, I read the gospel text and I was left with a few questions. Like, what on earth is going on in this parable? Why is the manager praised for being dishonest? Why did I agree to preach my first week back? (laughs) But of all the questions I had, one has stuck with me. All week I've wondered, what kind of managers are we? The Gospel of Luke has a lot to say about wealth. I haven't preached for 12 weeks, but I think Pastor Josh has had to give a few sermons on money recently. From the very first chapter of Luke's Gospel, Mary proclaims, God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Jesus has a lot to teach us about the value of money and the value of people. 
Now, if we were people of first century Israel-Palestine, we'd be more familiar with this particular economic system. The Romans are occupying the land, and in their occupation, they are exploiting the natural resources and labor. They are doing this by enforcing taxes, requiring vast amounts of wine, wheat, and olive oil from poor farmers who live in Galilee. The rich offer to pay the taxes to the Romans on behalf of the poor farmers in exchange for the deed to their property, saying, don't worry, you can live on the property as long as you give a percentage of all that you produce. It wasn't always possible or safe for rich landowners who lived mostly in the south and in the city to go up to the farms in the north and collect payment. So managers were then put in charge to collect what was owed. But it wasn't a fair system. The landowners always wanted more and more from the farmers. The people who worked the land stayed indebted to the rich who owned it. Jesus calls the manager dishonest, but I think he does so with a wink. Remember that Jesus is proclaiming God's unconditional love and coming kingdom, the importance of bringing home every lost sinner, the value of every single person in the eyes of God. But Jesus needs to live long enough to share this message. In a crowd that includes both the people who have been hurt by the system and people who have benefited from it, this parable might be his way of criticizing the economic system that they all live and participate in. The manager in the parable begins with his loyalty to the landowner. Being aligned with the wealthy and powerful usually comes with benefits like some of your own wealth and power. I'm sure he liked his position. It was much better than being among those who were in debt. While our our economic system doesn't look exactly the same, you could say there are a few similarities. Our economy is constructed in a way where we often give more money to those who are already wealthy and hurt those who are disadvantaged. Often the people who do the hardest physical labor, the most unpleasant jobs, working the longest hours, are the people who have the least. And because we live in this system, our actions sometimes hurt others, even when we don't intend to. Like how as a mom, I buy clothes for my kids. Clothing Madeline and Hannah is an act of love, one of many ways that I care for them. But if I had to guess, the person who made their clothes probably wasn't paid fairly or treated very well. I'm sure they are receiving the tiniest fraction of what I pay for the clothing. And as a pastor, I do good work caring for people in this congregation and community. But I do drive a gas-powered car to get here. 
giving more money to oil executives and hurting the planet for future generations. See, the more we think about our everyday actions, the more we realize it is really hard to be honest and good managers of what we have when the system itself is sometimes unfair. When the manager realizes that the landowner doesn't care about him, that after just some rumors of squandering money, of not squeezing the poor hard enough, he will be dismissed of his duties. He sees the injustice, and the manager switches his loyalties. He no longer cares about making the landowner as rich as possible. Now he wants to make friends among the poor. He seeks out debtors and starts a debt forgiveness program. The manager has been part of the system hurting them, and now he's protecting and helping them. Now that he's no longer worried about the social climbing that comes from being allied with people in power, he accidentally stumbles onto doing the right thing, helping the people in his community. Even if his motives are questionable, he is still using his power and position to stand with those in need. And Jesus says to be like him. We're called to be dishonest managers, to be economic rebels, giving generously when our culture instructs us to hoard, to be the good kind of troublemaker, like that shirt Bill likes to wear, questioning the status quo, asking what is right and fair, to value people over profits. We are called to use what we have, our wealth, our power, our position, not to get more, but rather to give more, to help others, to stand with the powerless, to work against the unjust kingdoms and systems of this world, to let the heavenly kingdom in. Emmanuel's counsel as our devotion time is reading this book called Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. The book proclaims a countercultural Christianity asking readers to live in radically different ways, living with much less, working for justice, truly following in the footsteps of Christ. To give you some idea of Claiborne's work, He left the life he knew to move to Calcutta to work with Mother Teresa. The book is inspiring and daunting. Reading it gives us a different set of questions, like how and where do we start and can my small actions make any difference? Sometimes the task seems too big. But as the very wise Verena Welch said at Council on Tuesday, and I don't remember her exact words, so I'm paraphrasing, if we see the work as too big, that will stop us from starting, from doing what we can. So if we can't be Shane Claiborne's right away, then we start smaller. 
I'm reminded of my mom, who for a short period of time worked in a school cafeteria. You know how school cafeterias work. Children come to school with money parents give them for lunch. The children don't have much control over what they've been given. Not every child has the same amount of money. Some children had money for ice cream, and others did not. So my mom, manager of handling the ice cream, would hand out the ice cream to any child who wanted ice cream, regardless of if they could pay for it themselves. And at the end of her shift, she would tally up how many ice creams she had given out and take the money out of her own pocket. It was a small rebellion, one that cut into an already small paycheck. But it was her rebellion against a system that withheld ice cream from the kids who couldn't afford it. My mom didn't think that was fair, so she did what she could with what she had to fix it. And for the child in her lunch line, I'm sure that grace-given ice cream meant a lot. So what's your small rebellion? Maybe it's treating those in service industries with respect and extra kindness, making sure they feel seen and respected, buying used clothing or exchanging with friends instead of always buying new, giving generously to a cause you're passionate about if you can't find the time to volunteer, seeking out alternative energy sources, advocating for fair wages and affordable housing, signing up for the crop walk to bring awareness to local and global hunger. What holy trouble can we stir up so that once in a while the rich are sent away empty and the hungry are filled with good things? We live in an imperfect world, part of an economic system that helps some and hurts others. But we are also citizens of God's kingdom, called to live differently, to live generously. Each one of us has something to give, something we can do. So what kind of managers are we? Hopefully, the rebellious, troublemaking kind. <laughs>